What have you asked yourself? What's the point of my life? What am I here for? From the time we're born, we're fed the story that life is random, a product of chance. But if that's true, why do we long for so much more? Why does it seem like the human soul is made for meaning, designed for direction? Here's why. God created you on purpose, for a purpose, and you are empowered for a specific focus in a particular place among certain people. Let's explore how you are wired by God. Ooh, how are we doing this morning, Rad City Church? Oh, you guys do seem like a spicy crowd. I, I was not surprised by that. I, f- I felt that that was fitting. Hey, have you noticed how many people are moving right now? Have you, have you seen this? Like neighbors, friends, coworkers. And I saw a map this week that I was like, yeah, this kind of illustrates like the move. Like you got all these people that are like, moving from blue to red. Like, in fact, 2020, the top five, uh, the top five destinations where people were moving were all uh, what would be called uh, conservative states. And uh, this week I came across a company, um, very strategically named Conservative Move. They just went simple. No, no other adjectives other than conservative move. Here's their tagline. Homepage, other website. Please don't Google this later. Okay. Uh, when your community no longer reflects morals and values, not just like your morals and values, but just in general, you know, there's no more morals or values. It might be time to move. We're an organization of real estate agents here to help you sell your home, organize the move, and buy a home in a community where, don't miss this, where you feel safe, valued, and at home, right? They are not hiring. I'm sorry, okay? Like, but but have you seen this? Like, it's just this, like, mass exodus from these coastal states, everybody moving inward. And so um, I, I, I want to talk about that, okay? And you guys have been way more, uh, way, be- way more better than the 930. 930 was like hooting and hollering. They were getting like Pentecostal at this part. And I was like, all right, we got to. So I'll be nicer to you guys. But uh, let, let me just ask this question, okay? Should we, as followers of Jesus, move to states and cities that better fit our values? And... Here's the thing. I can't speak to your particular situation, but you know what I can speak to from Scripture is your identity and your calling. Um, who you are called, created, and wired to be for this life. And, and, and it's true that, that setting, setting affects the plot of the story. Am I right? And, and, and I, I want you to see from Scripture that where you live, it matters. And where God has placed you, it matters. And so we're going to look at four lenses um, to, to help us process this idea as we're looking at our, our wiring, our calling. Four lenses to understand where God has placed us and why he's placed us there. Here's the four. The theological lens, the missional lens, the prophetic lens, and then ultimately the kingdom lens, okay? So, so, so first, uh, the theological lens. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, understanding sovereign placement and sojourning exiles. Two key theological understandings. So here's the first one under the idea of sovereign placement. God sovereignly, sovereignly places people in places. I need you to know it is not an accident that you live where you live. It is not an accident that you are part of this community 
a part of this city in this, in this region. Uh, in fact, the story of Scripture, uh, a lot of theologians would argue that the primary theme in Scripture is the kingdom of God. And here's how they would define the kingdom of God. God's people living in God's place under God's rule. Now, I, I just want to track this through Scripture, okay? So you start with the Garden of Eden. And, and at the Garden of Eden, what is it? It's God's people, right? Adam and Eve, there's probably, you know, there's only two of them, but for some reason they still probably had two opposing political parties, but that's all right, all right. But they're in God's place, the garden, under God's rule. And then what happens is the fall happens. Sin enters the world, and they are, in one sense, exiled, removed from the garden. But very quickly, we see God call Abram, a man named Abraham, Right? We call him Father Abraham. He had many sons. I'm one of them, so are you. So we're going to all praise the Lord, right? This is, but, but the point of him is, is God made a promise of a promised land to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And, and he promised him a, a particular place. Why? Because they would dwell in that place, and then God's presence would be in the temple that was going to be built in the promised land, in the Holy of Holies. It's all about God's people being in God's place under God's rule. But then they're exiled. They, they, are over, they are overtaken by the Syrians and the Babylonians, and then they live the rest of the Old Testament. As you go through the story, they're no longer in the promised land. They're trying to get back to the promised land, and they're in exile. But what are they called to in exile? Even in exile, they are called, especially if you zoom in on Jeremiah 29, there's this prophetic call, like, no, 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 grow where you're planted. Raise families there. Yes, you are not in the promised land. You are not where you ultimately want to be, but I need you to plant deep roots. I need you to work for the good of this city where you are at right now. And so the, the, the Old Testament kind of ends, and you're begging this question, when will God's people together again be in God's presence, in God's place? And you know what the answer is? That's what the New Testament answers. Instead of us being sent to a place... God comes to us and he dwells with us. That's John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And it tells us that, and the word was God. And it tells us that, that Jesus took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, dwelt among us. The literal word there is he tabernacled among us. And so God's presence comes to us. It's not about us going to a particular place to experience his presence. His presence comes to us. And then Jesus establishes two incredible things. First, is that we no longer, it's about rebuilding a temple. Now we are the temple of God's presence, okay? You read the book of Acts. It's the story of the birth of the church. And at Pentecost, what happens? The Holy Spirit falls and there's this flame the, the, this manifestation of the presence above all of the believers. And it's, it, and it's understanding that we are God's presence. We carry the presence of God with us. We are temples. So where is God's city now? It's wherever you are. That's where the presence of God is. That's what the church is to do. And then the second command is that we would be kingdom bringers. He commissions and sends his disciples, and he teaches us what to pray. And what do we pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we participate in the redeeming and the restoring of all things. And then where are we ultimately going? Where, where does the story end? It's, it's in the new Jerusalem. And, and what do we see there? It's God's people in God's 
place, the new Jerusalem, this holy city, this redeemed and restored and renewed earth under God's rule, where Jesus is king. That is the story. And here's what I need you to see and what I need you to take away. That God is moving his kingdom's story forward. For all of human history, he is divinely placing and appointing people to establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Therefore, your precise placement is not a random accident, but a purpose-filled placement. I need you to see this. If God is sovereign, it is not an accident that you live here. And if God is sovereign, it is not an accident that you live here for such a time as this. And God wants you here. That's why you're here. Um, My my grandma was born in Czechoslovakia. It was late 1930s, and uh, she was a Jew. And uh, her whole family was Jewish. And so when Hitler rose to power in the beginning of World War II, when they started rounding up Jews and going to different countries and rounding up Jews, my grandma and her family uh, was put in what's called a displacement camp. A little bit different than a concentration camp. But um, ultimately, uh, the rest of her family members were killed. And she, as a little girl, ended up in Germany. And that's where she grew up. So she was fluent in German. That's what she, that's what she spoke. And um, when she was a, in her late teenage years, she had my mom, Terry. And, um, and, and shortly after that, uh, she met a U.S. Army helicopter pilot named Tom Blanchard. Uh, he, he, was, uh, f- he was over there doing some training and, and met her, and they got married. And he, had, he adopted my mom. My mom actually didn't actually find this out until she was 16, um, and then never had a single conversation with her adoptive uh, father about it. Um, and, uh, but she, uh, they moved back to the United States and actually traveled all kinds of different places uh, in the United States. And so uh, my mom went to 13 different schools in her 12 years of education, Um, spent time in Monterey, California, uh, Monterey Bay, California, went to Indiana, Uh, uh, her teenage years were spent in Hawaii, Uh, pray for her, suffering, you know, in Hawaii, miserable, and then ultimately just ended up in just the heart of America, the most beautiful city in all of America, El Paso, Texas, right? Yes, dusty, I think they had an Applebee's, it was, you know, a pretty amazing place. My dad was born on a dairy farm of in Canada. And that's where he, um, where he grew up. And then he started working for the Canadian government in his early 20s, spent about 10 years working for the Canadian government and got kind of done with that and decided to uh, pursue his passion of opening up a scuba dive shop and uh, ended up moving to the States illegally. They didn't have the border wall set up in Canada, you know, America yet. So those illegals were just coming across. And uh, my dad came across and his brothers, uh, they were also very entrepreneurial. And so they were starting up a shoe store called Cowtown Boots, and they asked him to come uh, partner with them and open up this shoe store in none other than El Paso, Texas, okay? And so uh, the shoe store starts doing pretty well. My, uh, my dad decides, I'm gonna buy, you know, we're doing well. I'm going to buy a house here in El Paso. And so he uh, gets a realtor, a guy named Michael, and uh, start, he's going to go look at a house. And, and what they're, they're about to meet with um, and, and connect with um, a, a, um, an individual from, uh, like from a mortgage company, basically like a loan broker. And so they're waiting at this house. Well, the loan broker uh, is not, uh, he gets sick that day and isn't able to come. So the loan broker sends 
Bruce's new assistant, uh, Terry, my mom, and uh, she sees, you know, my dad Bruce and, and, and his realtor Michael there and, and sees this handsome man and has heard about, you know, Bruce and, you know, he's looking for this house and just walks straight up and like, oh, you must be Bruce. And he goes, oh, I'm Michael. This is Bruce, you know? So she picked the wrong guy off the bat, but you know what? My dad still closed the deal. It's okay. He, he negotiated his way through that. Three kids later, uh, and so they get married and moved to Los Angeles, California. And uh, my mom hates Los Angeles, California because all the traffic. So they move up to just the middle of nowhere, Central California, Bay Area, this city called Antioch, California, biblical where they were first called Christians, okay? So uh, they're, they're in Antioch. Now, meanwhile, there's a man named Larry Adams, and he is roommates with a Seattle Seahawks middle linebacker, a guy named Ken Hutchinson. And uh, he starts going to these Seattle Seahawks Bible studies that they have, and Larry gets radically saved by God and feels immediately this call to go plant a church. And so he wants to get trained. So he moves from Seattle to Portland, Oregon to go to this little-known school called Multnomah School of the Bible. Spends four years there, graduates. Immediately, his denomination is ready to send him off to plant a church. Where do they send him to plant a church? Antioch, California. My parents uh, start going to that church. My parents raise me in that church for 18 years of my life. When I'm 18 years old, I start to feel this call from the Lord. I really need to... um, I feel called to plant a church. And so if I'm going to plant a church, I want to get trained. And where do I go to school? Well, uh, my lead pastor, my youth pastor, key staff are all from this small little Bible college in the middle of Portland, Oregon. And so I go visit and immediately this is where I'm called to go to school. I move up from California to Portland and just God starts just setting my heart on fire for this area. I keep getting connected to Gresham of all places for some reason. I'm doing web design at the time, and one of my primary clients is in Gresham. So I'm always coming out here. They finally say, hey, um, we also, they weren't just a client of mine. They also helped lead a church, and they said, hey, we're looking for a youth pastor. And somehow they talked me into uh, coming and being a youth pastor for for four years. And and, uh, I moved to Gresham. I meet my wife. We just start planting roots in Gresham. There are so many times where I ask myself, like, how did I end up in Gresham, Oregon? My wife is from Seattle. Like, I'm from the Bay Area, California. You know how I ended up in Gresham, Oregon? Because God has a sovereign plan for Gresham, Oregon. And he sovereignly, divinely places people in places that he wants them. Why are you here? Like, that's just one story of, like, randomness, seeming randomness. But it's the sovereign hand of God. Why are you here? At some point, the hand of God has moved in a way that has brought you here. That's, that's why you're here in this city and in this community, because God has deep purpose for you. So we need to understand a theological lens that the sovereign hand of God, it moves. He moves in powerful ways. But here's the other thing that you need to understand theologically, is that you are in exile. So you're going to feel out of place. Over and over as you read through the New Testament, what, what do you see? They're called sojourning exiles. They're saying this, this is not your ultimate home. And so you read through uh, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 is going through these heroes of the faith. And this is what it says. It says, these all died in faith, 
Although they had not received the things that they were promised. They were wanting what? They were longing for the promised land. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. This is who we are. We are foreigners on this earth. We are temporary residents. Are we living ultimately where we want to live? No, we're not. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, but they now desire a better place. What is the better place? It's a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is what I need you to hear. You are a sojourning exile in this world. You are not made for this city. Like Gresham, Troutdale, Wood Village, it will never feel like home. Portland will never feel like home. Boise and not even Nashville. Like it's not going to feel like home. Because what are you made for? You are made for the city of Jesus. Where he rules and reigns. Amen. So we're going to always have this deep longing because we are sojourners. This is not where we belong. Our ultimate home is the city of Jesus. When, When COVID hit. Two really good friends, Kristen and Jared Friend. And if you know them, you know they, they run this church. They're incredible the way they serve and lead in this church. And the reason they're here is because a deep burden and calling by God. But COVID hits and, and everything shuts down. And, and even as a church, you know, we go online and we're kind of figuring out, what, hey, what are we going to do? What's next? And so Jared and Kristen, the reason they're here is because the mission that God has for them. And then when we're not gathering, they're like, so why are we going to stay? And so they start to even wrestle with moving to where they have a lot of family in Wyoming. And they go visit and they're praying and they sit and they have a conversation with me and talking through it and what it looks like. And they go and they visit Wyoming to look at houses and jobs. And as Kristen is walking with her kids along this trail and she's just praying, Lord, give me guidance. Give me guidance. You know what he speaks to her in the quietness of her heart? Kristen, you know what you're longing for? The city you're longing for, it's not in Wyoming. The city you're longing for is heaven. And you're not going to find it here on earth. We need to be reminded theologically that this is not our home. Yes, the earth will be redeemed and restored. But until Jesus is ruling and reigning and we're in his presence, we're always going to feel out of place. We're always going to wrestle through these things. And so what do we need to do in the meantime? We need to have a missional lens. And here's the missional lens, the second one, that you've been sent as, and commissioned as a missionary to our city. God has a plan for our city. And what is his plan? His church, that we would go and spread the gospel. That's what he says in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they had come together... They asked him, they're asking Jesus, this is the disciples right before Jesus ascends. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? See that kingdom theology again. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what is that power going to allow you to do? To be my witnesses. To speak to the power of the gospel. That's what you're empowered to do. To be witnesses to the power, the redeeming power of the gospel. To what Jesus has done. In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus has this specific purpose for these specific places. And then what's the end of the earth? Bro, the end of the earth is Gresham. Am I right? 
Like this, this is literally in, like the original Greek. It's the word grishume. No, I made that up. Okay, that's not true. But but it, doesn't it feel like that, right? Like we are the shadowlands. Like this is the middle of nowhere. Like I don't even think Corbett has the internet yet, right? Like this this is the end. Jesus is sending his disciples, and we have this egocentric way of viewing viewing our life as if America is the center of it all. But it's not. You know what the ends of the earth that Jesus is talking about? It's, it's where we live. And I just need you to see and to understand this. Because we think about traveling to these exotic lands. Or, or I need to train as a missionary and learn the language and the culture so I can go to this other country because they need the gospel. You know who else needs the gospel? Our city needs the gospel. And it needs it more and more and more. We are becoming this post Christian culture and generation. I, I heard it explained like this once, that, that uh, and many times we, we approach the gospel like we're telling a, a virgin, somebody who's not married yet, teaching them about marriage. Oh, isn't this wonderful? Isn't this great? Great. But we need to make a shift because we are no, it is no longer somebody who's not been married trying to teach them about marriage. We are now in a divorced culture trying to talk to them about marriage. People have been wounded and hurt by church and religion, and we need to have a different mindset and approach. So we have to study our culture and understand we are God's plan for them. Darren Patrick puts it like this in his book, Church Planner. He says, it is strange the way many Christians give so much money every year to foreign mission efforts without ever considering the need to be a missionary right in their own neighborhoods. What would happen if we actually started seeing ourselves as missionaries to the people who live around us? By being good neighbors. What would it be like if everyone in the neighborhood knew that if there was a need for peacemaking, kindness, hospitality, or refuge, they could come to our residence to find it? What would happen if we really tried to be like salt and light to the people living around us? This is the lens we need to see life through. That we are missionaries sent by Jesus with the gospel message. My son... He's eight years old, and he's a very driven, like focused, motivated young man. And one of the things he, one of the ways he's driven and motivated is he makes these plans, um, and he has plans for me when I get home. And so there's times where my wife, she'll text me and warn me, hey, just so you know, here's the seven things Dax has for you to do with him when he gets home. I, I, I want a heads up. Like, so I'm like, okay, cool. Like all the things I wanted to do is not happening. Like we, this, these are the things that are, that are happening. Like I can be a charge at church. I, I'm, I'm submissive at home to my son, right? Okay, whatever. No, but like I, I come home. And so I came home a few weeks ago and he goes, dad, get your keys. Right? I'm like, no problem. Let's go. Let's, let, let's get after this. And uh, I'm like, where are we going? Because I love doing these kind of things with my son. He's like, all right, I, I got three places we're going. And so we get in the car and we go to Hogan Butte. And it's this beautiful, like, overlook uh, in, in our neighborhood. And you kind of see this. And I'm like, what are we doing at Hogan Butte? He's like, we're just observing. <laughs> and so we sit there and he has his pen and quill and ink and paper. And he's just making observations. There's a couple places he's like, hey, take a picture of that. I'm like, yes, sir. Right? And then uh, I'm like, all right, where are we going next? He goes, you know that cemetery? I'm like, the one, you know, he's like, yeah, the one we drove past like three years ago. Like, he has this crazy. I'm like, yeah. He's like, we're going there. 
So we go and we park and we get out and we kind of walk and we talk about how, you know, people gather here and, and you know, um, we just like make observations. And then I'm like, I get in my car. He's like, where? I'm like, where next? He's like, downtown Gresham. And so we just get and we park and, and he, he, I kid you not, he finds a bench and he sits down and he pulls out his notebook and he just starts. He's just like, I'm like, what is he doing? Like, I'm like, whatever, right? So we get done and uh, come home and a couple days later I open his notebook and, and I realize what he was doing and he explains to me what he's doing. Um, he was drawing this map. Um, he's, he was mapping out Gresham and where, where our cul-de-sac is and our house and the, the Forest Lawn Cemetery, which is a real place in Gresham, the hilltop neighborhood, the woods behind our house, the creek, the forest, Hogan Butte, these, these places that are special to him. Downtown is still a little bit of a blur. Um, <laughs> he's not quite sure, like, is it local cow or is it candy shop, you know? Is it, is it the bookstore? But we're, we're getting there. And to be honest with you, I looked at this map and I was so moved. And I thought, like, imagine if we had that kind of mindset. This is the lens of a missionary that says, I want to learn about my city. I want to observe these places. I want to make memories in this. Like, Gresham is his world. Like he, he hardly, he know, like he knows what a globe is. He knows there's other places. Like he really wants to go to the Bermuda Triangle for some reason and Stonehenge. That, that's on his list, right? But Gresham is his world. Imagine if we could take this approach as missionaries and say, we want to know our city. We want to know the places. We want to make memories. We want to know what God has for it. And what does a missionary do? This is what a missionary does. A missionary has a prophetic lens. And this is important. As, as a prophetic lens says, we, the church, need to have a prophetic voice in our church. And what does a prophet do? A lot of times we think of a prophet as somebody who um, sees the future and then speaks to that. And, and yes, there are circumstances and situations where God reveals things to prophets so that they can then warn the people of their community and city. But, but primarily what a prophet does is they affirm the good and they call out the broken and the evil. You guys, as a church, we need, our, our city needs us to be a prophetic voice. We need to speak to the good of our city. We need to work for the good of our city, but we also need to counter. We need to be a countercultural community that calls out what is broken and what is evil and is willing to actually do something about it. This is how Timothy Keller puts it in his book, Center Church. He says, Christians should be a community radically committed to the good of their city as a whole. It is not enough for Christians to form a culture that merely counters the values of the city. He's not saying you don't counter the, the, the values of your city. He has a whole section where he's like, no, you do. But you also, you must commit with all the resources of our faith and life to serve sacrificially the good of our whole city. This is what it means to be missionaries. And so, like, when we look at our city, man, there's some things that are good that we need to affirm. Like, right? Isn't, isn't it great being in a city that, that, like, it has a small town feel to it in one sense, but you're also connected to this, like, cultural epicenter. We're so close to the airport. We're so close to Portland. Like, it's nice being near a big city. You, if you want to, like, go to a concert, you want to go to a basketball game, you want to go to, like, a good restaurant, you, if you need somewhere to camp, like, there's tents all under bridges. 
colleges, you just pick one, right? Like we, we have this, this cultural epicenter in Portland that we're tied to, but we can still, some of you guys are like, that's not funny, man. Okay, sorry. Everybody else thought it was. Don't be mad at me. Okay. But we, we can still be where we're at in our community. Second, like it, we're this gateway to so many incredible places, like the mountain. To be able to go what my daughter calls mountain hood. Like it's the ski there and, and to enjoy the beauty, the beach, the rivers, like the Columbia River Gorge. Isn't that not one of the most underrated beauties in the whole United States? I mean, it's, you go up to Angel's Rest or Crown Point and you just look out and you're, you see the majesty of God on display. We live in a beautiful place. It is a wonderful place for us to live. We have incredibly unified church leaders. Every, every few months, that all the pastors in Portland, we gather together and we have lunch together here at Rise. And we pray for each other. And we pray for what's happening in one another's churches and, and what's going on. And we, and we learn from each other. It, there's not a territorialism. Because this is a hard place to plant and a hard place to lead. And so that's, that's good and that's beautiful. I mean, we even have a, na- we even have a mayor that, that cares about what the church's influence, Right? Mayor Stovall, he's reached out to me multiple times. We've grabbed coffee multiple times, and he's like, hey, here's, here's the things I'm facing. Here's what's going on. I want the church to speak to these kind of things. Like, I know that Rise is a church of incredible influence in our area, and I want to have a relationship with you. I, that's, a, that's a rare thing to find, and that's a really good thing to find. And even, like, the, these brand-new rebuilt schools th- through some of the grants, like, I'm so grateful to drive down the street and see these schools being invested in. That matters. But also, at the same time, like our city is really broken and we need to acknowledge that and we as the church we need to have a voice in that let me just like name some of the things right so like we have a terrible food culture I'm sorry like it's terrible like Polar King and Applebee's like come on you know what I'm saying I know they got their Bourbon Street steak and their Oreo shake and it's got a song but like no come on like it's terrible like, it, we, it's getting better, I get, I'll admit it, but it, like, it needs to grow. Some of you guys grew up here and you're like, are so nostalgic about the food culture in Gresham. You know what nostalgia is? Is when you rewrite history in your mind to make it think you think it's better than it is. Like, no, it's not good, right? We need to grow in this area, okay? Second, we have a bad reputation. You know what I mean by that? Like, like the city, the neighborhoods and the cities around us, they're like, they look at Gresham and they have this like, you know, like we're the Shadowlands that Mufasa warned Simba about. Like, never go there. You know? You know what I'm saying? Like, I was actually on the west side a number of years ago. I had a meeting in the Beaverton area. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm reading through this study we did through the book of Philippians that, that Rise made and we designed it and all this stuff. And somebody came up and was like, what is that? That's so well done. And I was like, oh, our church put together this study through Philippians. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Where's your church? I was like, oh, yeah, we're in Gresham. And they're like, Gresham? She just like looked at me like I said a bad word, you know? Like that, and, and it, it has a, a waning reputation. Third, uh, schools are a struggle. Like test scores, um, where things are at. And, and honestly, we, over these last two years, like it is heartbreaking. I know this isn't just Gresham, this is our state as a whole, but we have sacrificed our children for our ideologies. The things that we put kids through is heartbreaking in schools through things like distance learning, making them wear masks all day long. It is not okay. It's, it's borderline evil what we have done to children. And this, breaks, this should break our hearts, 
Okay. Uh, larger churches are waning in influence. And, and here, here's what I mean. Like you look at the larger churches in our area, their heydays were five, 10, 15, 20 years ago. They are not growing in influence. They're actually shrieking in, in influence. And, I'm, and I don't mean to speak negatively about smaller churches, but I, I'm making an observation of like, you're not seeing this, this, booming, this booming growth of where, where that's at. Um, there's a massive foster care need. It is horrible here on the east side. And it's the kids and the families who need it most who are suffering because of it. There's a shortage on housing. That's a big thing. Do you know in the whole Portland metro area, uh, the two neighborhoods that are the fastest selling neighborhoods in the entire Portland metro area, Gresham and Troutdale. There, there is a house has a viable offer within 24 to 36 hours in these neighborhoods. Others, they last a little bit longer, but because there's such a need in this area. And, and you know, lastly, just as an observation, faith-based higher education and training is, is disappearing. So there used to be a number of faith-based Christian uh, colleges and universities um, in our area. And either what's, what's happening is they're being secularized. So going from a Bible college to like a more liberal university, liberal arts university. I don't mean that politically. I mean, in it's in its focus or they're closing down. And so what's happening is we're not seeing this, this training of biblical worldview in these young adults. Okay. Now, why do I point these things out? Because to have a prophetic voice says we need to do something about this. We don't just sit back and complain. Or we just say like, oh, maybe I should just move to a state where I don't see these issues. Guess what? Those states have their own issues. Those cities have their own issues. But we as the church, we are called to actually speak to and address these needs to, in our community. This is what a prophet does. One of the minor prophets, Nehemiah. I, I want you to see what he does. Says Nehemiah 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, This is Nehemiah speaking. You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burnt. He says, Look at the problems of our city. Look at what's happening. Look at the brokenness. Come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. We have a solution. We have a way to move forward. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words of the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. This is what a prophetic voice does. It says, yes, we have brokenness in our city, but our call is not to run and hide. Our call is not to scatter in fear. And our call is not to just shout from the corner, all the problems are our, our call as disciples of Jesus, as the, as the church is to be a prophetic voice that says, let's do something about this. Let's rally together because God has us here in this particular place, in this moment and time for such a time as this. That's what it means to have a prophetic voice. And lastly, and probably most importantly, we need a kingdom lens. One that says, in Gresham, as in heaven. In Troutdale, as in heaven. In Wood Village, in Portland, in Corbett, in Boring, in Damascus, wherever you are at. We need a kingdom lens that says Jesus has a purpose for the city. And he wants his people living in, God, in his place under his rule. And this is what we should declare with our lives, that Jesus is king. Like he's king of the city. 
It tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Tell you what, I'm not waiting for that day. We are a church that will declare that with all that we have. This is why we have, this is why when the world around us has shut down, we have said, no, we will be open no matter what, no matter the cost, no matter the reputation, no matter the persecution, no matter the fines, no matter what OSHA says or whatever happens. No, we are the church and we are going to be open because we, we need each other. We need to rally together because we are on a mission. We have a purpose. We have a calling. And what is that? To make this city look more like heaven. To declare that Jesus reigns and he's king. And so there is nothing that will keep us from standing and worshiping him. There is nothing that will keep us from sitting under his word. There is nothing that will keep us from rallying behind his call to go be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city on a hill. This is what we're doing. This is why Paul writes in Romans 10, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how, will they, how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You guys, I will not stand at the gates of eternity and watch neighbors and loved ones and friends, people from our community say, why did no one tell me the gospel? Nope. We will be a church that no matter what, we will continue to press forward in our mission to say Jesus is king and he loves you and he died for you. And I'm telling you what, like I will not be a person who just runs to comfort and ease. Look, there are going to be people who are in this room who over the next couple of years are going to be like, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm going to move away. Like God's blessing on you. But for the rest of you, like we're in the trenches together and we have a call and we have a mission and it's to bring the good news of Jesus wherever we go. And so we need to ask better questions. We need to ask kingdom questions. Let me, let me explain what I mean. Here's some of the questions we're asking. We're asking, why should I stay somewhere that disrespects my beliefs? Here's the kingdom question. Here's the better question. What might God want to accomplish in and through me here in this place? We ask, how can I make life easier or safer? You know what the better question is? How can I show the courage of a disciple of Christ and his sovereignty over all circumstances? We ask, why would I let my kids grow up here? The kingdom question asks, how can I link arms with other parents and being a driving force for good for the kids of my city? We ask, where will state policy reflect my theology? The better question is, with the gifts that God has given me, how can I be the salts of the earth, the light of the world, a city on a hill? That's a kingdom question. And lastly, we ask, where will I feel at home politically and culturally? The better question, how would moving away affect my lost friends? family and neighbors here? Am I trying to create a pseudo heaven or do I trust God's promise of heaven enough to make sacrifices now? Because we are sojourners. We are exiles in this world, but we're the mission. We are the missionaries that are sent to this community. Let us have a lens that looks through it in that way.
Let us be a prophetic voice saying, no, no, no. Like we're not just going to run and hide. We're going to embrace the pain and the suffering. And we're going to bring the gospel to it. A gospel that restores and redeems all things. Because we want to see heaven come to earth. We want to be a church that sees heaven crowded. You know what I'm saying? With our neighbors and our loved ones and our friends. That's why Charles Spurgeon can write. It is not at all a bad thing for us to be put where there is opposition. Because we shall not be stopped by it. But shall by that very process be made to shine all the brighter as lights in the world. If you and I are put in difficult positions where we seem to be unable to shine to the glory of God, we must ask the Lord specifically to constitute us so that we can better reflect his brightness. Man, that is the call of the church. Do me a favor. Would you close your eyes right where you're at? And I want to read something to you. Um, This is a a vivid vision that that was written six years ago. This is a hope and a prayer for the impact that our church would have in our city. This is why we exist. This is our mission. This is our purpose. And I just wanted to just stir something in you. I just wanted to awaken a burden in your heart to see that God has wired you for this. We exist to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel. Every t- everywhere you turn in our city, you will see followers of Jesus rise to their true calling, declaring, displaying, and living out the power of the gospel. Like ink spilled across the map, every neighborhood will experience the transforming power of God's people on mission in their city. As the local church, we exist to call forth Raise up and send out disciples with a mission, igniting the hearts of leaders and influencers all over our city. Hearts set on fire to see the kingdom of God break forth in our community. No more are the days of the people of our city feeling like they have to leave in order to dream big and live with significance. No more young lives wasted in idleness and futility. Our city is not a place to commute away from, but a city filled with a life and purpose that is brought about by the gospel. No more are the days of the church losing influence with each passing generation. Rather, there is a wave rising up, a wave ready to crash over the city, soaking it in the love of Jesus. This is the church's moment in time. Our turn to have our voice be heard. And that voice will declare with vitality, Jesus is alive and well in our city. Amen? That the gospel is raising the spiritually dead to life. Amen? That the kingdom of God is on a mission to bring forth life in our city. We cannot merely be churches with our own self-focused missions. But rather we must recognize that God himself is on a mission here in our city. It is not that the church has a mission, but rather the mission of God has a church. So therefore, we seek with everything we are to raise up and mobilize an army of missionary saints. We will not stop until we have gathered 
gatherings of believers blanketing over every neighborhood of our city. One day, every person in the city of Gresham will know that Rise exists. Every person will know that there is a place to belong, a people to call home, and a God who will call them to more than they ever imagined. Because together we are the church of Jesus. Together we are on the mission of Jesus. And together we will rise. Jesus, would you be famous in our city? Would you shine bright in the darkness? And would you unlock something in our hearts that helps us see and understand that you have wired us You have burdened us. You have called us. You have sent us for moments like these. That we would be the light. That we would be the salt. That we would be a city on the hill. And would it all be to your glory, our joy, and the good of those that we call neighbors. Pray this in your name. Amen.